series entitled Biblical Principles in the Book of Deuteronomy. Uh, this is the fourth of six sermons, and today we are looking at the, the principle that God blesses those who remember. And so we turn to the eighth chapter of the Book of Deuteronomy, uh, and looking at verses 1 through 10, it is a rather lengthy reading, so I'll read these words for us. Hope you'll follow along in your Bible or in your bulletin. This is where Moses tells us, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and streams flowing out into valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. with a title that expresses that an older person is talking about the past in terms of the good old days that assumes that the present is not part of those good days. And of course, that's the wrong way to look at life. You know, that's scripture that Solomon teaches us in Ecclesiastes 7. He says, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it's not out of wisdom that you ask such a question. In other words, our view of history is to be that every day is a good day. And why is that true? Because God's mercies are new each and every day, according to Lamentations 3. And God is working in the world each and every day and fulfilling His purposes. And whenever God is at work and when His purposes are being fulfilled, that's a good day. And so we're always Instead of saying, 
because so many changes have taken place. And if your brain is like mine, you just can't hold on uh, to all of those things. Take music, for example. I'm sure some of you here play 78 records in your life. And I'm not talking about the number 78. For you younger people, I'm talking about 78 revolutions per minute. Or about a 20-inch disc that has shellac on it. I had a computer in my house. I grew up with 45, which had one song on each side, or what they call long play albums that were 33 and a third that had about six songs between each side. But as soon as you would get a really good stereo that would play 45s and 33s, then some new technology would come along like eight-track tape. And before long, everything in the music industry was moving to tape. In fact, my wife Sarah and I still laugh about the time we were pretty newly married and we had gone into a music store because I was looking for a particular album and I walked up to the guy working in the store and I said to him, look, I'm looking for something such an album. Do you have something like that? And with this great look of disdain on his face, he said to me, and this is the exact way he said it, finally, Of course, you know where I'm going with this illustration. Eight-track tape turned into cassette tapes. If you've got an old enough car, your car stereo still has a cassette tape player in it. And then it moved to CD. You know, all the car stereos had CD players in them. Some of them were totally empty. They didn't do anything. But now, guess what? You don't find any car stereo CD players. That's because of satellite radio. can remember all of that stuff, or, or how to keep any of those older systems going even if you could find parts for it. Because all of this technology keeps changing, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to remember very many things because the moment you have it committed to memory, it becomes obsolete. I mean, does your computer do like mine where all of a sudden through the night it has updated itself and now go to my email, I have to do something completely different than what I used to do. The one thing we need to remember for sure is that God does not like technology. He does not send it. As one scholar put it in a Ligonier article, if God were not immutable, or if God could lie, remembering the God of the past would not be important at all. God would be just another capricious deity, and the life of faith would be little more than a guessing game with eternity hanging in the balance. But God is immutable. God is unchanging. As Hebrews 13 puts it, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is why it pays you and me to remember how God led His people in the past because 
we can learn some things. We need to know and apply those things to how he's leading us today. Now, you may have noticed that this passage is very similar to other passages we've looked at already in this series and that Moses begins by emphasizing doing the commandments. You know, the first week in this series, that's why we talked about this doing the law, because you're supposed to do the commandments over and over again. But then he adds a new element in this text today. Connected to doing the commandment, he adds the responsibility to remember how God led them through those 40 years in the wilderness. And we can see why Moses mentions God's leadership. For he says in verse 2, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. This word, remember, was a somewhat popular word in the book of Deuteronomy at least 13 times. Moses uses it, but most of the time we find Moses telling the Israelites to remember how they were slaves or to remember how God with a mighty hand uh, delivered them from the great Egyptian army. But this call to remember in our text today is a call to look back on their history with a much different emphasis. They are to think back on God's leadership and the that Moses is making is that even the hard times are an example of God's care. That even trials and sufferings and tests are, are evidence of God's love and His faithfulness. These hardships that God gave the children of Israel, for example, driving them out into the wilderness where one would not find a regular supply of water or food, These hardships were designed to teach them utter dependence upon God Himself rather than on themselves, rather than on their power and what they could accomplish by their strength. And it was a way of testing the people, Moses tells us, to see where their true motivation was found. That is to say, what was really in their heart. Remember how Jesus once said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God's interested in the heart. And talking about how he tested them, we could make the same point about this pandemic. If nothing else, this coronavirus has made it abundantly clear that we are not in control. Now, we want to be in control because that's our sinful nature. But we're finding out that if we thought we were in control, we are not in control. But this testing of the children of Israel in our passage and how God led them into those tests should give us a good perspective on the tests that we have to endure in our own lives, whether it's a pandemic or whatever else it happens to be. In Proverbs 3, it mentions 
almost most of what Proverbs 3 says, and in effect, what Proverbs 3 gives us a good attitude on this, where Solomon says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a, son, as a father does the son in which he delights. Discipline is there to help us know God's love, just like it is with our children and our grandchildren. And discipline is there to help us grow, to help us become the kind of people that God wants us to be. Peter understands trials as testing in this same way in his first letter, the first chapter, when he says, you may have to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which though perishable, is tested by fire, may redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It, it sounds like Peter is taking us closer in the early part of his first letter there, right, right out of Deuteronomy 8. And why not? Because we can see in our text that the purpose of this testing by God is very specific. It's not just a general, I'm doing this so that you'll grow in your faith. That may be true, but the purpose is more specific as verse 3 makes clear. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word which proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. we see it in both passages. But what does it really mean? It's well known because Jesus quotes it to none other than the devil. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness after he had fasted for 40 days, and make sure you hear that, a combination of no food and the wilderness, didn't that point him back to the time of the children of Israel and what they're learning and what they're going through, and what they're experiencing. Every Jewish Christian in the early church reading that temptation story of Jesus would have had to have been a desperate appeal to me. What God did with the children of Israel. You may remember that the devil said to Jesus, knowing that he was hungry after 40 days of fasting, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And of course, Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, quoting our text, but he shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now at the most basic level, it should be easy to see that Jesus is telling you and me that life is simply more than just existing. It's more than just worrying about the next three meals and where they're going to come from. Yes, Jesus was hungry, but there was more to his life than taking care of that physical need. His life was all about God's will for him and what he needed to do each day to fulfill that will. We can see this clearly in the temptation story. We can also see this same truth clearly in the story of the woman at the well. Remember how Jesus was 
disciples left them alone at the well. We're told they went into the city to find food, and that's that's why Jesus has this wonderful conversation with this woman, because she comes to draw water, she's thirsty, and he asks her for a drink. He engages her in conversation and then proceeds to to give a fuller revelation of himself to her than he's given to anyone up to that point in time. And and she's so taken aback and so converted on the spot, I would say, that she goes running into the city saying to all the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this man be the Christ? And you see, when she went running away, Jesus was left to go alone by himself. And this is when the disciples they say, Rabbi, who, you know, they've been out to get food. They have food. And when they say to him that they know who he is, he says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. You know, if you read through the Gospels, you can see that these kinds of disciples are sharp, just like you and I would be a sharp. And Jesus says that to him, I have food to eat which you do not know. They begin discussing among themselves and arguing, like, how did he get food? Did you give him food? I didn't give him food. Who gave him food? How did he get this food to eat? And then he has to plainly say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, Jesus is living up to this ideal we see right here in the text in verse 3. He's living by the will of God. He's living by every word which proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. But the question is, do we? Do we live by every word that proceeds from God? As I was writing this sermon, which I can assure you is about two weeks ago, I was working ahead. I knew I didn't know how hard the recuperation would be from this surgery, and I didn't think my mind would be where it needed to be to come up with a sermon. So a couple of weeks ago, I was working on this sermon, and, and, and I was looking forward to supper on that particular day because Sarah had told me the night before, now tomorrow night we're going to have hot and cheese chicken like that. And that's her uh, subtle way like these children of Israel. We don't live by bread alone either. Or poppy seed chicken or steak or seafood or whatever your favorites are. We live by obeying the Scripture. By obeying the will of God. As 
as one commentator put it, if we are preoccupied with our own physical well-being to the neglect of our spiritual lives, we too will perish. Perhaps this is why Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because the richer we are, the more self-sufficient we are, and the more self-sufficient we are, the more we live by sight and not by faith. And if we're not living by faith, then we're not listening to what God wants us to do. When we're self-sufficient, we forget what God does for us, and hence the need to remember, as Moses is telling us to do in this text. God brought them out into the wilderness to teach them to depend on Him. For just a few things? No. For everything. This is why they need to remember how He loved them, so that they would see what is really important, and so you and I could see the same thing. And by remembering, our eyes are able to see, and by remembering, our ears are able to hear what God really has for us in life. He blesses those who remember in this way. And we can see those blessings for Israel unfold in the latter verses of our passage, beginning with verse 7. And as we read through those verses, verses uh, describing fountains and springs and wheat and barley, verses describing a land in which you'll eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, we know we have the same blessings in this land where God has placed us. As He puts it in verse 10, you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. God blesses the needy, and as we remember and see and understand, we can't help but bless Him, as Moses tells us here in the text. And we can't help but remember the overall truth that we find in this text. And you may be thinking, well, what is that text? talked about a lot of things, and so what is the overall thing about this land of Israel? Well, I'll put it in John Calvin's words. He, meaning God, is able to keep us in life by His good see at the end of this series, God blesses obedience. He doesn't just bless remembering. He doesn't just bless devotion. He doesn't just bless passing on one's faith, other things that we've talked about the other weeks, but He blesses obedience. And He keeps us in life by His will alone. Calvin goes on to say there, he also adds that their clothes were not worn out and that their shoes remained whole, and that they might be convinced that whatever concerns the preservation of human life and man's daily wants is so entirely in God's hands that not only its enjoyment, but even its continuance and being depend upon His
it's God who reaches out to us when we're dead in our sins, and by the power of His Holy Spirit helps us to see the need we have for the saving grace of Jesus Christ and His work on the cross that pays the debt for our sins. Egyptian army from that land of darkness. So has Jesus Christ delivered us from the dominion of darkness and translated us to His kingdom in whom we have redemption, in whom we have the forgiveness of sins, and in whom will of God 